Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, and we're kind of still, as we're taking, uh, going through the book of Ruth on our character studies, learning the character of these uh, great men and women of God and their faults and their downfalls and, and how we can relate to them, and yet God used them for His glory. The title tonight is Ruth's Rest and Redemption. Ruth's Rest and Redemption. The text for our study tonight, verses 1 through 6, starts with a proposition made by Naomi to Ruth, which is a fitting way to start the subject of the marriage of Ruth and Boaz. Because marriage usually started with a proposal. And the marriage of Boaz and Ruth is no exception. Let's begin with chapter 3, verse 1. And it reads, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, that is Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? The New Living Translation uh, uh, says verse 1 like this, One day Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you, so that you will be provided for. So Naomi made the suggestion that Ruth should find a husband, and uh, that, that Naomi should find a husband for Ruth, obviously suggesting Ruth marry Boaz. Now, it's unusual that Naomi would do the proposing, but it showed that things were done differently in those days. And in those days, the man didn't propose to the woman like they do today, but the parents did the proposing. So Naomi, as Ruth's parent, because uh, she's Ruth's mother-in-law, she takes it upon herself to be the matchmaker in getting Boaz and Ruth married. Now, Naomi had good womanly discernment, and she noticed that both Ruth and, and, and Boaz, were show, they showed interest in each other. Boaz showed a strong interest in Ruth from the first day that he met her, gleaning in his fields. And Ruth's comments and her behavior after meeting Boaz and enjoying enjoying his kind-heartedness to her showed that she was interested in him. Now, people then weren't usually as forward as we are today in making our romantic interests known. Outwardly, Boaz and Ruth didn't show their interest. You know, they... They were silent, they were quiet, they didn't say anything or do anything, you know, so much to say that show their interest for one another, which again shows the times in which they lived. It's not that they weren't interested in each other, but in spite of not showing any interest outwardly, Naomi discerned she could still tell that there was a lot of mutual interest between the two. So Naomi steps in to help make this, this marriage happened to help encourage this interest by suggesting to Ruth, look, you, you, need, you need to pursue this Leverite marriage with Boaz. Now, a lot of people would say, and, and, and it's true, what a drag having to marry somebody that's been chosen for you. But again, hey, let's look at marriages today. I don't think we're doing very well choosing our own mate either because there's a lot of people that are having a lot of problems a lot of divorces, you know, and, and, and it, it hasn't seemed to improve the quality of marriages today or the longevity of marriages. Boaz got a great wife in Ruth, and Ruth got a great husband in Boaz. Even, even though the way the two came together was a lot different than, than our day. 
So Naomi plans for Ruth was, as it says in verse 1, that it may be well with you. That, that, that you find a, that I find you a husband so that it may be well with you. It's the main reason for Naomi's suggestion to find Ruth a husband. It says, again, so that you will be provided for. In other words, so that, that Ruth would, would, would get the security or rest. You know, in the, old, in the King James, it uses the word rest. But in uh, New King James, it's, it's you know, translated as security, but meaning the same thing. The rest means in getting married. So that you will be provided for, Ruth, in, in, when you get married. Now, marriage in the beginning of our study, if you remember, in Ruth, the study of Ruth, is referred to, was referred to as rest. This rest spoke of the rest of her status, not the remaining of her status, but the rest of her status. That is, it speaks of the rest from reproach of not having children. In other other words, when women didn't have children in that day, they were looked down on, they were criticized. It was was the most terrible thing for a woman not to have children in that day. And it it just, you know, it just, remember Hannah, she wept before the Lord, Lord, please let me have a child. And so that would give her soul and her mind rest from being criticized by others for not having children. So she would find rest in her status, again, speaking of the rest from not having children. She would also find rest of, uh, the rest of security. In other words, she, she would rest in having security, somebody that is able to provide for her, somebody that can protect her and be, you know, again, uh, take care of her. So she wouldn't be worried about security. She'd find rest in that sense of worrying about the security uh, once being married or, and, and being protected from harm. And then there was the rest of substance. In other words, the rest of having the things, the necessities of life. She wouldn't be lacking those things being a, a single woman. So she would find rest of, uh, of not having things because her a husband would provide those things for her. So that's the way the word rest is used there. It's so different today because women are in a different situation. Some women choose not to have children or they have an abortion. You know, and, and there's, you know, it's, there's, no, there's no shame, there's no criticism. There's, you know, it's, just, it's just the way it is today. They can take care of themselves. They can provide for themselves these days. Like again, in Ruth's day, that wasn't the case at all. Women wanted children. They needed the protection of a husband, and they didn't have much of a support in life being their own, okay, on their own, and especially if they were a widow like Ruth was. So if a woman was to have much of a life in those days, she needed a husband. She needed that rest. That was her great need. So if she got this rest, again, from, not have, from, from being able to have children and, and be secure and have this, the things that she needed, if she got this rest, then it would be well with her. So Naomi's goal was to have Ruth married and to have this rest so that she would be provided for. She'd be taken care of. That should be the goal of any marriage, that they have this rest. When choosing a marriage partner, and we've heard this a million times, both men and women should choose in a way that it will be well with them. They should choose a marriage partner that will help, uh, again, to make a righteous life for one another. And here in verse 1, we have illustrations of the gospel. 
You know, she, Ruth says, shall I not seek rest or security for you that it may be well with you? Now, in verse 1, we have three matters that are associated with the gospel illustrated here. For example, first, the result of salvation. Spiritually, the word rest is often used to describe the effect that salvation has on the heart and the soul of a person after they get saved. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. Rest. Rest from the things of the world. Rest from the things of life that, that burden us and bring us down. True rest for the soul is found in Jesus Christ. We get that rest by faith in Him. In Hebrews 4, 3, and 9, it says, For we, do have, for we who have believed do enter that rest. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. But the unsaved, they don't have this rest. Isaiah 57, verse 20 and 21 says this, But the wicked are like trouble the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. They don't have that rest. They try to find that rest in worldly ways through alcohol and drugs and other means. But it's all temporary. Just as rest in marriage for Ruth would make it well with her, so will salvation of the soul make it well for the safe man or woman. Ruth really needed this blessed effect of, being, of finding this rest because she was poor and she was lacking without a husband. Her situation pictures the sinner who is in great need of salvation. They need Jesus Christ. And as Ruth found status and security and substance in her marriage, that is, her, the rest of her marriage, so does the sinner. He will find status. Hey, he will be in a royal priesthood. He will find security, that is, escape from eternal hell. And he will find substance, the things that he needs, because as Paul said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The second illustration is seeking salvation. Naomi's trying to find rest for Ruth in marriage with Boaz. This pictures how God's people should seek souls for Christ in at least three ways. As Naomi was concerned for Ruth, we should be concerned for souls. Naomi was one of God's people, and she was very concerned about the need of Ruth, who was outside the family of God. She was a Moabite. Believers should be very concerned about the need of salvation of the unsaved who are outside the fold of God. Second part of the second uh, illustration, uh, th- second part of the uh, illustration is communication. Naomi gave Ruth a message that focused on Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. The message to sinners should focus on Jesus Christ because he's the great redeemer of souls. He's our redeemer, kinsman redeemer, and then. The capability. As Naomi was able to give Ruth very specific instructions about coming to Boaz in verses 3 and 4, so should God's people be able to give very specific instructions to the sinner on how to come to Jesus to be saved and becoming a child of God. Third, the third thing that we see in, in verse 1 is the asking for salvation. Once the message was given to Ruth by Naomi, Now, she had to ask Boaz for the marriage, as we're going to see in verse 4. Naomi didn't do that for her. And likewise, in salvation, the sinner must personally come to Jesus and ask for salvation. He must pray, he must entreat to be 
Okay? He must ask to be the, the, the Savior of his life. The sinner must personally call on Jesus to save him. Nobody else can do that for him. Now, this doesn't make salvation a, a thing of works, but it shows the human responsibility of the lost in coming to Jesus Christ personally to be saved. If they hear the message of the gospel and they refuse to act on it, if they hear the message of salvation and they reject it, they will die in their sins. Hearing the message of salvation isn't enough. It's not enough to hear the word of God and to hear what God has done for you and to hear that you've been forgiven of your sins. The sinner has to receive the message and they have to call upon Jesus to be saved. As we're told in Romans 10, 9 through 10, Paul said, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, notice you have to receive Christ. As many as received him to them. He gave the right to become children of God. That's the only way we, we, we can become children of God. That's how God gives us that right to be children of God, by receiving His Son, He says, to those who believe in His name. And Romans 10, 3, For whoever, and that means whoever, it includes one and all, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Look at verse 2 now. Now, uh, it goes on to say, Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, again, Naomi's speaking to, Bo, uh, to, to Ruth, Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So, Naomi says to Ruth, Remember that this man Boaz, Ruth, uh, and the women that you were working with, he's our relative. Naomi makes it clear to Ruth that Boaz is the man that she, that Naomi has picked out for Ruth to marry. Naomi could not have picked a better man for Ruth to marry. And Naomi said two things to Ruth about Boaz, which, which you know, spoke very highly of him. First, it was their acquaintance with Boaz. She said to Ruth, is he not our relative? Naomi pointed out that since Boaz was their relative, a man that they knew well, that they both knew well, it suggests that they know he was a very good man. And he would be a, good, uh, he would be a kinsman redeemer for Ruth. He had an open and willing heart. Now, there's some good advice here in this reference to Boaz. It encourages, again, those looking for marriage partners to choose one that they're well acquainted with. Enough to know whether the person has character or not. And you need to know what kind of person you're intending to marry. Obviously, you don't want to marry, you don't want any surprises after you get married. Naomi knew Boaz for many years, so her recommendation of Boaz was very reliable. Ruth had come to know and to watch him firsthand when she, you know, during several months that she was harvesting. That, too, gave her a chance to know a lot about the man that she was going to marry. And what the two women knew about Boaz was that he would make Ruth a very good husband. The second thing that uh, Naomi is saying here in in picking out uh, Boaz for, for a husband for Ruth is the associates of Boaz, the men, the people that Boaz associated with. He, she said, whose young women you were with. 
And speaking of the times that she was with the young women that were helping also to glean in the fields. The young women that you were with reminds Ruth of the two associates of Boaz. Ruth had been with Boaz's maidens, the women in the field, gleaning with them for two to three months. So she would learn a lot from these women. Ruth would learn from their life, all right, and their conversations what kind of man Boaz was. Because the life of these women would show their character, and, and their character would show her, that is Ruth, what kind of associates Boaz had that were around him, which would say a lot about his character. This conversation of these women would do, would, would do the same thing. A person's associates are a good source of information about somebody. And, and these women would you know, be working and they'd be talking among one another, talking among themselves, and Ruth would hit listen. She'd hear them talk about Boaz. And she'd be told a lot of things about Boaz. These women of Boaz would give a good recommendation because he had lived a good life before them. They knew him well in being servants, laborers for Boaz. And again, before you date somebody, you know, before you date or marry somebody, you need to know who their friends are, their associates. Naomi could give Boaz a good recommendation because of those women, those associates. And Ruth knew that it was true of what they said. So if your future mate has offensive people as friends and associates, the quicker you drop that person as a future mate, the better. Now, then Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek security or rest for you? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor, according to verses 1 and 2. So she's letting Ruth know. The moment Naomi chose to speak to Ruth about a husband was very important. The moment was during the end of harvest and the joy over the harvest. Now, both the end and the joy of harvest can be said, uh, it's emphasizing opportunity. The end of the harvest particularly emphasizes personal responsibility. And the joy over the harvest speaks particularly about getting the most out of an opportunity. Now, the proposal was made when the harvest season was ending. And then Naomi tells Ruth, hey, you know, they're winnowing grain now. They're at the last stage of threshing. It was, that's, it was taking place. It was during the harvest season that Boaz showed interest in Ruth. Now, Here's the thing, if Ruth doesn't pursue Boaz, if she doesn't show her interest in Boaz, it will send him a negative message that she's not interested. In the practice of the Leverite marriage, which was to be the case with Boaz and Ruth, the widow was the one to press the wedding, to press the case. Boaz had done his part by showing her his kindness. So now Ruth needs to make her move. Or Boaz will have no other you know, reason than to think, man, she's not interested in me. She doesn't want to be my wife. That would surely close the door for the two of them to get married in the future. Personal responsibility is strongly emphasized here when the opportunity arises. Ruth had a big responsibility here to move quickly, to let Boaz know her feelings for him if she wanted him for a husband. Boaz had done his part. Now it's Ruth's responsibility to respond if she's interested in Boaz as a husband. And she was. Then the joy over the harvest. 
The proposal was made the day Boaz, it says again in verse 2, was winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, when Naomi said this, she's talking about opportunity that's knocking at the door. She said, hey, go there now, man. He's, he's winnowing barley at the threshing floor. This is your opportunity to pursue him. You know, opportunity is knocking at the door. Specifically the fact that Boaz will be winnowing his grain that night, which ends with a joyous celebration. Man, he's going to have a joyful heart. He's going to be in a good mood. You know, take the opportunity to pursue him. The time of joyfulness over the harvest would be an especially good time for Ruth to let Boaz know, hey, I'm interested in marrying you. Again, he would be in a very good mood that night with the harvest finished, all the hard work. You know, also, he would also have the time to take care of, of matters regarding the leveret marriage. So again, the opportunity is very good at the moment for Ruth to talk to Boaz about the leveret marriage. Naomi recognizes this. So she encourages Ruth, hey, this is the time to move quickly. And we'll see that in a bit. The advice here is to go to the door of opportunity while it's open. The Bible says that God opens doors that no man can shut and shuts doors that no man can open. We need, but we need to go through them when we have the opportunity. We need to act when opportunity knocks. We need to keep a watchful out, uh, eye out for those opportunities that God gives us. And when those opportunities come, we have to move fast. Naomi's proposal to Ruth about marrying Boaz was something that Naomi knew Ruth wouldn't be against. This is obvious in the fact that before Ruth could, could even respond to Naomi's proposal, Naomi gave Ruth instructions about going to see Boaz. Naomi wanted Ruth to be adequately prepared for the encounter with Boaz so that it would be a successful encounter and there would be a successful outcome. So now we're going to look at these preparation instructions that Naomi gives Ruth. Since Naomi knew that Boaz would be using the threshing floor that night and he would be staying the night there to guard his grain from thieves, she instructs Ruth to repair herself to meet him there at the threshing floor. And Ruth made a five-fold preparation before she presented herself to Boaz. In other words, Ruth did five things to prepare to meet Boaz. Look at verse 3. Naomi tells her, first of all, therefore wash yourself. There's the first thing. Wash yourself, Naomi. So before Ruth approached Boaz, she was to wait until the men's business was, was, was finished. All right? She was to show her manners and be polite. Let me finish, the, read the whole verse so you'll understand what I'm saying. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment, notice, and then go down to the threshing floor. But notice, but don't, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So Ruth Again, Ruth was to approach Boaz, but she was to wait until they finish business. Wait till they finish eating, drinking, and they finish up the business of the day of harvesting the barley. So she was to show her manners and be polite and not be forward, but wait for her turn. You see, the men were finishing the winnowing operation. There would be a celebration. There would be eating. They would be finishing the work, and business operations would have to be complete. So Naomi said, don't approach Boaz until... They're finished with the business. Then she says, notice there in verse 3, first wash yourself. 
this preparation is basic, but very important. In the east, the heat, the dust made it necessary to bathe often, but water wasn't always plentiful. With regard to the Jews, the law of Moses required ceremonial washing and taking a bath and changing clothes. This was usually something they did before a special event. There wasn't any more special event that you could think of than presenting yourself to the one that you want to marry. And so, so, so again, Naomi is telling Ruth, bathe yourself, wash yourself. What Naomi was really telling Ruth was to act like a bride preparing for her wedding. If Ruth is going to convey her desire to Boaz's wife, to be a Boaz, she needs to smell clean and feminine. This spiritual application here emphasizes the need of cleanliness if we want good fellowship with our Redeemer. We can't come dirty, spiritually speaking, to the Lord. If Ruth wants to have good fellowship with Boaz, who's going to be her kinsman redeemer, she must cleanse herself. Likewise, if we want to enter into a deeper relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, we must, as Paul said, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Whenever we sin, we need to pray, Lord, wash me. Remember Peter? Lord, wash me. Give me a bath. I need to be cleansed. I am, I am dirty. But sometimes God says to us, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes and cease to do evil. Isaiah 1.16 If we want good fellowship with the Lord Jesus, we have to separate from evil. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.17 Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, Notice, and I will receive you. Stay away from that which is, which is dirty and I will receive you. Sin will always hinder our fellowship with God, including our communication with Him. Sin cuts off the, the, the communication line with God. Our prayers will be cut off. Our fellowship will be cut off. God is holy. And unholy, unholiness cannot, cannot stand before a holy God. Ruth was going to ask Boaz to marry her. And before she asked, she had to clean up so that her, again, her asking wouldn't be hindered. We have to do the same thing when it comes to prayer. The psalmist said in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I'm living in sin, if I'm committing sin, and I have unforgiven sin, God won't hear my prayers. We need to separate ourselves from whatever defiles us and whatever grieves the Father. The second preparation instruction, notice in verse 3, after it says, wash yourself, it says, and anoint yourself. Eastern people use fragrant oils to protect and, heat their and heal their bodies and to make themselves pleasant to others. A bride would especially make sure to wear fragrant perfume that would make her nice to be near. Anointing oils speaks of the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All believers have received the anointing of the Spirit. So we ought to be, we ought to be a fragrance of Christ. We ought to be a sweet-smelling fragrance to others as to, the Holy, as to the Heavenly Father. And the more we are like Jesus in character and conduct, the more we please our Father, the more we please Him, the more He can bless us and use us for His glory. 
The third preparation instruction, notice it says in verse 3, first wash yourself, then anoint yourself, notice it says, and then put on your best garment. Put on your best garment. Ruth wasn't just to make sure that she had good hygiene, but she was also make sure, make sure of having a good appearance when she met Boaz. She was to put off the garments of a sorrowing widow, and she was to dress for a wedding. Ruth probably didn't have a, a, a large wardrobe, but she would have one special garment for joyous occasions. No, Naomi had the faith to believe that Ruth would soon be going to a wedding. Now, in Scripture, clothing carries a spiritual meaning. After our first parents died, after our, or I should say, after our first parents sinned, after Adam and Eve sinned against God, remember, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. But, the only, the, the, but only the Lord could, give them, could forgive them, and only the Lord could clothe them acceptably. And, and He covered them with lambskin. Remember, I mean... He had to have shed blood to do that. Think of it. It was God and Adam and Eve in the garden. They must have seen God. You know, sacrificing that lamb, blood spilled to cover them, for him to cover them. They'd never seen blood spilled before. And yet they was, that was the only thing that was acceptable in forgiving Adam and Eve of their sin. The Jews, the, the Jewish priests, they wore special garments that nobody else were, was allowed to wear. Salvation is pictured as a change of clothing. And Christian living means taking off the grave clothes of the old life and putting on the grace clothes of the new life. Because we cannot come, to, come into God's presence in our own righteousnesses. Because Isaiah said, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We can only come in the righteousness of Jesus Christ because we are accepted in the beloved. So if we want to enter into a deeper fellowship with our Lord, then as, Paul, as, as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Then in verses 3 through 4, we see the fourth preparation that, that Ruth made. Looking at verse 3, uh, the end of verse 3. Well, let's look at verse 3 through verse 4. Therefore, again, wash yourself. We looked at anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But notice, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. So the fourth preparation was learning how Ruth is to present herself. To meet Boaz. Now, she was to go, and when he was, when she saw him laying down, she was to un, uh, lift up the, the the blanket, and she was to lay at uh, her head at his feet. Now, there was nothing indecent about what she did, because it was the only way that Ruth could offer herself to her kinsman redeemer. She had to put herself at the feet of the Lord of the harvest. And where are we to come before Jesus? We are to bow before his feet. Best place we can be ever is at the feet of Jesus. So she put herself at the feet of the Lord of the harvest, and he would do the rest. There were certain custom practice, customs practiced in those days that, that were pure and they were holy. Holy. Though to us today, it looks ridiculous. 
But Naomi gave Ruth these instructions in detail, and she gave them right away, showing that they were commonly practiced and not considered unholy. What if, on Ruth's way to the threshing floor, she says, I ain't going to do that. I ain't laying at no man's feet. You can hear the women today, when you see this ready, you can hear their saying, there's no way I'd do something like that. But what if Ruth, on the way to the threshing floor, decided, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it different. Why lie at the feet of a man that you want to marry? Why uncover his feet and then ask him to put a, a corner of his blanket over me? There has to be a better way. If she did it another way, Boaz could have, would have been confused because that was customary. The whole endeavor, the whole thing would have failed. The Old Testament priests, they knew how to approach God because He gave them instructions in the law. New Testament Christians know how to approach God because in the Word of God, He's told, we're told, what what is required of us. So whether in our private, you know, time with God, our private communication with the Lord, or in public worship, we don't have any right to change the principles of approaching God that He has laid down. We cannot substitute man's ideas, man's inventions for God's instructions. We must behave in a way that will be understood as being pure and righteous before God. Then we see the fifth and the last preparation. Ruth promised to obey God. Look at verse 5. And so after Naomi told her what to do, notice Ruth said, All that you say to me, Naomi, I will do. Ruth promised to obey. She wasn't just a hearer of the word. She was a doer also. You see, a willingness to obey the Lord is the secret of knowing what the Lord wants us to do and being blessed when we do it. The blessings come in doing, not in hearing. John 7, 17, Jesus said, If anyone is willing to do God's will, he shall know concerning the teaching. The will of God is not a self-serving or self-serve buffet where you just pick and choose when you read the Bible what I'm going to obey and what I'm not going to obey and then expect to still receive God's blessings. Every command of God needs to be obeyed. And those who only partially obey, they're going to come up short on God's blessings. Hey, partial obedience is total disobedience. Flat out. God expects us to accept all that He plans for us and to obey Him completely. Coming to God with your own ideas, with a hidden agenda, with reservations in our heart, hey, is only going to lead to grieving the Holy Spirit and missing God's best for you. Ruth said to Naomi in verse 5, All that you say to me, I will do. Ruth's love for Naomi is what motivated her to keep her promise. And that's what motivates us to keep our promises to God, our love for Him. Or it should motivate us to keep our promises to God. And you can see this in how fast she promised to do what Naomi asked of her. Immediately she said, Naomi, whatever you say, I'm going to do. Because of her love for her. The promptness of her response showed her heart. It showed Ruth's eagerness to marry Boaz or else she wouldn't have responded as eagerly as she did. She had been gleaning in his fields. She had experienced his special treatment and her heart became attached to Boaz. 
You can't blame her for being in love with Boaz because he was a real catch for her. He had character. He could take care of her. She could be sure the way that she was treated by him that he would be a wonderful husband. And we could say that about our Lord Jesus. He's a real catch. (laughs) He has character. He could take care of us. The way he treats us, man, he makes a wonderful savior. So Ruth being interested in him is is no surprise. Her love motivated her promise to do what Naomi said. Love always encourages obedience. Jesus said in John 14, 23, if a man loves me, hey, he will keep my words. Hey, there's the real test for loving God. It's easy to say I love God. Easy to say I love God. We hear it a lot in prayers. Oh, Lord, I love you. But do we keep all of his words? Do we keep his commandments? Love is the basis for obedience. The Lord equates love for him with obedience to him. You know, it, it, how in the world can it not be that way? Oh, I love the Lord, but Lord, I can't do that. Oh, Lord, I, I love you, but I can't go there. Or I won't do that. To love Jesus means to care enough about him to keep his commandments. But here's the thing. We can't keep his commandments unless we search the scriptures to find out what they are. I'm going to give you a few of them. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. John said, Now by this we know that we know him if... There's the, word, there's the operative word. Here's how we know that we love God. If we keep his commandments. The inference is if we don't, we don't really love him. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. John didn't mess around. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. 1 John 3, 22 through 24. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So the inference is if we're not receiving what we ask of him, we better go look and see, hey, are we keeping his commandments? Are we, doing, are we doing those things that are pleasing in his sight? And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Are we loving one another? As he gave us the commandment. Now he who keeps his commandment abides in him and he in him. That is, whoever keeps his word, we're abiding in Christ and he's abiding in us. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. 1 John 5, 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. 2 John 6. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Revelation 14, 12. God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commandments and maintaining their faith in Jesus Christ. Revelation 22, 14, blessed are those who do his commandments. James 1, 22, don't listen, don't just listen to God's word, but you must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourself. We need to love God, as Jesus said, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. And Jesus said, this is the first and great commandment, and everything else falls upon that one. If we love our Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, and mind, we will obey. 
we will worship. We will, again, be all that God asks of us to be. There's a lot of talk about love today in our society, but we know it's definitely not the love for God, which the Bible speaks about, and that is what promotes obedience to God. Let's close with verse 6. So she, that is Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law Naomi instructed her. You see, Ruth was sincere about her promise to Naomi because, again, we can say I promise, but until there's action, it means nothing. She told Naomi, I promise to do all that you say. The next thing you do, you see you're going to do what she said she would do. Ruth was sincere about her promise to Naomi. Today, people make all kinds of promises, but many fail to keep their their promises for various reasons. But you know what? We're Christians. Be different. Be different. Be a person of your word. Sincerity and promises is integrity of character. You can't have character without sincerity. Father, we thank you once again for, Lord, your word and, Father, the beautiful examples, the illustrations that you have for us, God, of these men and women of character, Lord. Help us, God, to glean from your word these beautiful characteristics, these beautiful attributes of those, Father, that you used mightily. Father, we thank thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and your grace. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I mean, you, you, can, sit, you can sit in Bible studies, you can go to church, you can do all that you think can be done or, or should be done. But if you don't receive Jesus Christ, if you don't seek Him and for, for, for the forgiveness of your sins and, and have a, a personal relationship with him. None of it matters. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the Spirit has been talking to you. The Spirit has been pricking your heart, piercing your heart. And you know I should, but for some reason you put it off. If you're here tonight and, and the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, saying tonight's the night, this is the time. I got to quit messing around with God. I got to take a stand. I got to make a decision. As we're praying, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just put your hand up and then put it back down. Anybody at all? Gracious Lord, we thank you again for tonight. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord. And Father, we pray now that you would just uh, go with my brothers and sisters, Father, as they go their way. Give them a blessed week, Father, and uh, may they remember the things that you showed us tonight, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.